Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,363. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hey, Cars Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft seat covers. They'll protect your seats from the daily abuse of pets, children, weekend adventures, and even those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. All Covercraft seat covers are easy-on, easy-off design that are machine washable. You can choose from many fabric options, colors, and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicles. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks, and their seat savers, a favorite of mine, are custom tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work truck seat covers are tough, durable, denim weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark at Cars Yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. When you want proven performance, there's one brand that's been around since 1938. That's Edelbrock, building the finest American-made performance products for the street and track. Edelbrock's products are designed and dyno-proven to deliver maximum results. Edelbrock has thousands of made-in-the-USA performance products for all makes and models. From their new AVS2 carburetor and innovative ProFlow 4 EFI for your muscle car or truck. To superchargers for your daily driver and more, visit edelbrock.com to check out the latest products for your ride and when you're ready to check out enter cars yeah in the coupon code and get 10 percent off your order that's edelbrock automotive performance since 1938 you take care of your cars but who takes care of your investments tune-ups aren't just for engines updating your financial plan is important too your gps may take you from a to b but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy too. Learn more at chrisvkimball.com. Or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Yesterday, I had Tim Bidvitz on the show. He's back again today to continue his story. Uh, we got all the way through the time to him standing on the summit of Mount Everest. And now we're going to talk about the Heroes Project, which is something very near and dear to his heart. So if you missed yesterday's show, go back and listen to it first, because you got to get the foundation for where we're going with the show today. So Tim, welcome back to Cars Yeah. Good to have you here, buddy. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Do it again. Let's do it. Well, let's do a little more is more like it, because your story just seems to be getting more and more interesting. But first, I'm going to ask you a couple quick little questions, and then we're going to jump into the Heroes Project. 
I want to have a little fun with you and uh, go back and talk about your first bike, because I know you're a bike guy. We talked about the fact that both of us love bikes, too. Cars are cool. I'm more of a car guy, but I love bikes. I've ridden bikes. But what was your first really special motorcycle? Is there a bike that you got in your life that you went, yeah, now I'm a biker? I mean, there was the first mini bike that I built from a stolen three point three and a half four-star Briggs and Stratton motor that I stole off the neighbor's lawnmower. There would, I mean, that one was pretty special. <laughs> you yeah, know? your your, your Jersey go. neighbor is still looking for you, by still the way. looking for me. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, there was my first dirt bike, which was a nineteen eighty six KX one twenty five that I still have. You still have it? Still have it? Yeah, I'm sure oh, a lot of your you. listeners that have their first car that they own. So, uh, some of them do yeah some of the some yeah, yeah i wish i still had my first yeah, motorcycle motorcycle guys uh you know we definitely do that too so it doesn't take as much room in the garage as your cars no. <laughs> for sure for sure uh, that's a cool bike yeah it's a great great third bike and then but i probably you know for me i don't have the story i mean aside from like the mini bike with that we put together you know the dirt bikes I don't have that story that a lot of my motorcycle buddies, you know, have where, you know, I built this 1958 pan head and I had this shovel head and a basket case that I put together. And, you know, I don't have any of those stories. And the reason why I don't have those stories is because my dad, my dad said to me a long time ago when I was a kid, he said, listen, don't settle for something that you don't want. Just get what you want, because in the end, you're going to save a lot more money by getting what you want. And so, you know, fast forward, I mean, I, at this point, know a lot of guys, you know, and their bikes are always breaking down. I just didn't want to be that guy. And I didn't really know much about that type of motorcycle. So I just, I went right to a dealer and got myself a brand new bike with a warranty, like wheeled it right off. I mean, that was my story because, you know, I didn't want to be the guy that was working on his bike every weekend, man. I just wanted to ride. You know, so I wanted reliability, you know, so for me, it was just, and it's a funny, funny time in the Harley world back then, because back then, you know, Harley's production, they were only putting out about 300,000 bikes a year for the whole world. And so there were just waiting lists were insane. And especially on, I don't know so much about the West Coast. I know we did a lot of waiting lists out here when I got out here, but in the early 90s, I mean, it was such a thing that when the Harley tractor trailer would come down Route 1 and 9 or the Turnpike in New Jersey, there would be a line of people following it because they wanted to know <laughs> where it would go. No, seriously. And then you would, they would literally follow it, get to the dealer, and then they're all pre-sold already. And then just try and wheel and deal and get them to sell it. People were buying the stories. Because I could tell stories all day long, but... Some of the stories were a guy would buy a brand new Harley, right? Let's say out the door, $25,000. He'd bring it home. He'd put a box. He'd put an ad in the paper. And everybody would come, and you'd have to write your bid on it, drop it in the box. And whoever had the tallest bid, so everybody knew that that bike out the door was like twenty five. So, you know, people are writing 26000 27000 35000 40000 and so here's this guy who never even rode the bike and just made a quick, you know, ten ten yeah, thousand dollars. Flip the bike twice, yeah. I found out was through an Italian buddy of mine who had another Italian buddy of mine with a last name that ended with a vowel who worked out at Hempstead Harley. And Hempstead Harley, these guys were just a little scandalous. So they would bump you up the list, but you had to guarantee them that you would pay them a thousand dollars cash 
Okay, no one would see five hundred tiki to them, and you had to guarantee another two thousand dollars in parts that you had to put onto the bike. And it could be anything. You could buy a leather jacket, you could buy handlebars, you know, whatever it was. And that was, and if you did that, then they'll bump you up the list. Other than that, you got to wait probably at least a year to get the bike. So of course, you know, I went for it, greased their palm for a thousand dollars, and needed a couple grand worth of stuff, some pipes and bars, and you know. So that was my story, you know, and, and I love that bike, man. I put I put about 160,000 miles on that bike, and I rode everywhere with that bike. And every time on my buddy's bike they were working on or was in the shop, I was cranking that thing up, and I was riding. So that's my my first street bike, just at the moped. Were you building, when you were building uh, bikes for celebrities in Hollywood and so forth, were you building choppers primarily? Is that what I you're mean, building? My scene, my era when I got out here in 98 was right at the time when there was still huge waiting lists for certain Harleys, um, even in California. But it was also when the whole Jesse James West Coast choppers hit the scene. This is before like the Orange County, you know, the, the, the dad and the son. This was before that when Jesse James came onto the scene and he was building these like crazy bikes for like $200,000 bikes. At that time, when I got into that business, I mean, it was, we were selling bikes for $100,000 all day long. Like, we could keep them on the floor. And so I basically built a couple bikes that, that were sold to a couple celebrities. And it just kind of, I snowballed. I got a little name for myself. But the stuff that I would do is a lot of cosmetic stuff. You know, like I would pull the motors out. I would send it out to a guy, and he would just diamond cut all the fins on the barrels, polish the motor, polish the tranny. Uh, I would send the chrome out to Paducah, Kentucky, because Paducah, Kentucky didn't have the same EPA restrictions that we do in California. So the chrome, they can put, you know, the bad stuff into the chrome that browns plating, and some of these companies that get away with a lot of stuff that we couldn't get away with in California, and that chrome, especially if living near the coast, Pacific Ocean, you know, you wanted good chrome because the stuff you would get out and the plating you got in California was just crap. And so, so I would send it out there and we would, you know, I basically like chrome everything, the beer cans, the legs, the swing arms, like you name it. Um, then I had a frame guy, you know, I'd send it out to this guy, Dr. John, and we would cut the necks and we would stretch out the necks. We would stretch the frames, stretch the tanks, paint jobs. I mean, I, I don't think I ever, for at least five years, sold a bike stock ever, you know. So um, it, was a, it was a beautiful time, you know. And at that, I, I remember vividly when Bob Dylan walked into the dealership and he came in. This was right when Harley released the Road Kings, probably somewhere around 99, 2000, somewhere around there. And that was like the hottest thing on the planet. He had to have a Rocane. I'm just like, I'm thinking to myself, like, oh my God, how are you going to pull that thing off the kickstand? Like this little old frail little guy, you know, but he wanted that bike and he wanted all the stuff done to it. And I had this big board in my office and I was like, man, like there's a waiting list, man. Like you, you, you I got to treat you like everybody else, man. Sorry. I know who you are, man, but like you're at the bottom of the list there, Bob. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And I put bottom. Bob on the put Bob on the list. Bob man. on the bottom of the yeah, list. Bottom of the list, man. Bob Dylan. And wow. He waited. He waited about six months, and yeah. and you know, and then took the bike and started doing all my magic to it, and yeah, and so uh, that was uh, 
that was a great time in the Harley world. I mean, now you walk to a Harley dealership and it's like going to a car dealership because now Harley's putting out, you know, so many bikes and it's, there's so much competition. They don't hold the same resale value as they did then. I mean, then you buy a bike out the door, you know, say $50,000 and you could sell that thing in two years and, and probably get 60, you know, yeah. so different times, different times. For sure. yeah. And so, and that was a good time to be in the business. I was making a boatload of money and, Life is good. Life is good. Well, let's move forward because yesterday when you were on the show, we talked about that terrible accident, a really a downtime in your life you went through. You were dealing with a lot of stuff. And then you came out of it by reading an interesting book into thin air. And this idea popped into your head of the Heroes Project. And I want the listeners to take the time to go to the heroesproject.org website and check out what Tim is doing because I think, Tim, what I see happen here is what I've heard from over 1,300 guests is you figured out the secret sauce to life, and that's helping other people that need help uh, through seeing yourself in some ways and other people, but also overcoming insurmountable odds with your recovery and then being able to climb to the top of Mount Everest, uh, which is absolutely phenomenal. And for those listeners, go to the Discovery Channel, and you can watch Tim uh, Everest Beyond the Limit. Really interesting shows. Uh, you gave Russ a hard time. Uh, a little bit on that show. He wasn't very happy with you and your rebel ways, I guess I should say. But let's talk about the Heroes Project. How did this whole thing come together? What are you doing for people? What does it mean for you? And what does it mean for these veterans that you're helping so much? Yeah, you know, it goes back to like how we finished off the show yesterday was, you know, it's like you just climb Everest. You know, I had this this huge journey from the hospital bed to finally standing on top of the world mission complete and then you come back to reality you come back to la and it's like you know what's next what's what next? do you do now and not to mention like you know i had a, sold all the toys you know the truck the harleys like it was all gone i came yeah. back home to nothing you know and so and then your buddies you know you sit at the bar you know tossing back a frosty and you you know buddy's like well, what's next man he's climbing there what are you gonna do next like what am i gonna say like ballroom dancing you know? <laughs> yeah i'm going to disneyland <laughs> yeah exactly except you don't have any money now to go to disneyland yeah you don't yes. it, whatever it's you know too expensive yeah, yeah so you know what was and then it was just kind of like what do you do and so you know i started like scuba diving sort of skydiving again i've always been kind of adventurous and you know nothing was really filling that void and then, boom, it was Veterans Day, and I'm on the couch and going through the channels, and there was some special at Arlington Cemetery, and this guy walked up to the podium and didn't even look like a human being, man. He was so burned beyond recognition. And his, uh, his Hummer, he was over in Iraq, and his Hummer was uh, ran over an IED and survived the blast, but the Hummer caught on fire, and he was trapped, couldn't get out, and he was essentially just being burned alive they ended up saving him got him out and here he is on this podium man he's sitting there telling about how proud of an american he is and i go back you know to fight with my brothers in arms and i don't regret another i don't regret enlisting and and i'm just sitting there like you know swallowing the whole time like trying to hold back the tears right oh, yeah. like yeah serious stuff uber american and like the true meaning of an American hero, you know, a war hero. And just to hear that, man, it was just like, I was just, it was like this light bulb went off, like, oh man. And then I just started kind of doing a little research and realizing like how many of these guys are coming back, 
you know, missing limbs. And I was just like, holy crap. And so then I ended up, you know, set up a little visit down at Balboa Naval Hospital down in um, San Diego. Most of the guys, when they come back, you know, after the war, they'll go to Landstuhl, Germany, the military base there. They'll get them stabilized. And then they either go to Walter Reed or they'll come to the West Coast, Balboa. And so I went down there and I remember going to meet this one guy who lost his leg in a, in a blast. And we sat down and we were in the courtyard and we were having coffee. And I remember sitting there for about two hours with him. Nicest guy. We had the greatest conversation. And as I sat there, I must have watched about, I don't know, three, four dozen guys all in their 20s getting wheeled by, missing a limb, missing an arm, missing a leg. I mean, just like I, I never been so horrified. I've seen so much atrocity down there. And this is the stuff that like, you know, at the time, the stuff you're hearing in the news, at least in L.A., is like, oh, Beyonce and Jay-Z were in Cuba. Yeah, you know, yeah. I don't hear about, well, dude, how come they're not talking about the 100 guys that are there's 114 inpatient amputees at that time, just in Balboa Naval Hospital, inpatient. And you didn't hear about that stuff on the news. No, and it was just no. like, I was like, man, you know what? Up to this point in my life, it's been the Tim show, you know? And so I think it's time that, you know, the Tim show ends and give back a little bit, you know? And I, and I was just going to help one guy out. I'll go check that off the list, you know, all the bed done and all one step closer to the man upstairs and <laughs> check that off the list. And then I just uh, took this kid who lost his leg. So, oh, shit, man, you want to go climb a mountain? Because I realized that my journey from the hospital bed to the summit of Everest, you know, my vehicle to that recovery was mountains. So I can use that same vehicle and teach someone else who's going through an injury. And, and obviously, you know, losing a limb compared to I broke every bone in my body. And there's nothing compares to what these guys are, are suffering with, you know, yeah, but you got to keep I, your foot. Yeah, I did, you know, and I can't understand what, what it's like to be missing a limb. I'm not trying to compare my injuries to theirs in no way, but I can certainly relate to what it's like from the hospital bed to getting back up and getting your life back. I know what that's like. And that's for a man. That's uh, not a fun thing. So I could relate Not fun for anybody. No, <laughs> I could relate to that journey. And so I knew I had something to offer these guys. Let me just show you what worked for me, you know, and forget some physical therapy. Let me show you what I did. You know, let's go. Let's go put our let's go put you back in harm's way again, like you were in the battlefield. And there's a lot of similarities to, you know, being on a climbing team and being on a mountain that people die on, you know, and being in the battlefield, you know, like you leave that green zone and you're going out past the wire and you got to make sure you got, you know, your got your hand grenades, got your ammunition, you got your, your comms, you got, you know, everything that you need in case you get into a run of situation. And when we leave base camp to head up towards the summit of a mountain, we got to make sure we got, you know, all of our anchors. We got to make sure we got rope. We got to make sure we got a first aid kit. We got to make sure we got our crampons, our ice axes, you know, like radios, yeah, radios, oxygen. Well, there's a lot of similarities, but there's that camaraderie and there's that teamwork and there's that counting on your brother standing next to you. Is he going to save your life? Is he going to get you out? And will you save his? So it's been a huge, huge positive, had a, a positive role and impact on these guys' recovery utilizing the mountains as opposed to the physical therapy units and what started out helping one guy turned into 
you know, 10 years later, and we're still doing it, man. And wow. we're still taking guys. And every time I just want to like get back to like get a normal job again or go build bikes again or, you know, something like that. It's like the old, uh, you know, Al Pacino and Godfather, you know, just when I try and get out, they pull me back. They in. pull me back. And what pulls me, but what pulls me back in, though, is watching this guy with no legs climb this mountain and watching him take those last 10 steps to the summit and throws, throwing his arms up in the air and screaming, I did it, I did it. You know, if that don't choke you, I'll put 100 Hells Angels in a room and you watch that, man. Every Something's single one of those you. guys will be crying. So that's yeah. what pulls yeah. me back in, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, this is absolutely Wonderful in, in so many ways. And I mentioned to you earlier, what I've learned after 1300 plus talks with people is I really have learned the secret sauce to life. And we as human beings are really not that great until we are helping a fellow human being. We really are not. And whether you know it or not, when you cross that line and like you said, the Tim show ends and how can I help people show begins, no matter what it is in life. That's when life begins. That's when you feel truly fulfilled, right? That's right. Hey, man, you want to talk something about cars here, man? How about how about this pivotal moment? And I'm sure a lot of your listeners will will relate to this one. I'll never forget that moment when my dad sat me on his lap and he let me grab that steering wheel and he let me steer that car back to the driveway coming down our street. And that right there, there's nothing else that that epitomizes the quote of helping others because it's such a simple little thing by letting me drive his car. And so, like you said, like everybody's got their own Everest. You don't have to take a guy and go bring him up, a, you know, bring him up Everest, but maybe throwing the keys to somebody, you know, your fancy car you got in the garage or your baby, you know, someone drive it, you know, or yeah. take it for a spin or it's take simple, a kid. simple, simple yeah. things like that, man, that, yeah, is giving back. And so, if anybody yeah. your listeners take anything from this podcast would be to take that, do something for your fellow guy and go to the Heroes Project and give us a little shout, man. Come yeah, out and help, one of our help events. out. Take one of these absolutely. guys. I know you haven't forgotten about them. Well, absolutely. It, it's so important. And that's what uh, makes me feel so good. I'm so glad to be able to share what you're doing here. I had a, a builder, a bike builder, Jason Zaderman. Um, he's the founder and president of Operation Combat Bike Saver. And what he does is builds bikes and brings veterans who have PTSD into his shop and he tells shows them how to build bikes. It's kind of like that age old, age old thing in the Bible, you know, feed a man, he can eat for a day, teach him how to fish, he'll fish for life. Um he teaches guys how to build bikes and feel good about themselves again and they're around other people. So with your program, um let me ask you this. You've had a lot of people go through your program who you've helped rehabilitate through Showing them that they can be themselves again and do do that again. Uh, do you have a count? How many people have gone through this program at Heroes Project? About three dozen, right about now. Cool, cool. Yeah, we've and stood so on every highest mountain on every continent on the planet Earth, and we're still doing yeah. it. We leave for Russia in two weeks, and actually, we're right now. We've been working with the last eight months with our first civilian, um, a guy named Patrick Shamas. He thirty years old. Fell off the platform at the subway downtown LA and train took both his legs off. Ugh. That was one year ago. And he's going to be standing on the tallest volcano on the in on the continent of Europe, which is just about 19,000 feet in a couple of weeks. So if you go to our Facebook and our Instagram and all that crap, you know, and you can follow along, we'll be posting from the mountain. And uh, he lost his leg, one leg above the knee and one leg below the knee. That was a year ago. 
lost both his legs. And he's already out there. We've had him in the mountains one month after getting out of the hospital. As soon as he got his prosthetics, let's go, man. Let's go climb a mountain. So when you take these people into situations that they probably never dreamed they'd be able to do again, what's one of the biggest things you see happen to somebody, either emotionally, physically, mentally? What happens to somebody when they realize they do have power over their life? Well, you know, I can... You know, focusing on on the males because we we've definitely worked with a couple females, um, but just for the for the males, you know, it's feeling like a man again. You know, because here you are, this big strapping marine walking around in sixty on your back with a platoon of guys that all are listening to you and your barking orders. Then you got like you know a weekend retreat reprieve, and you go you go into town and you go to the local pub and. You know, you got the good looking guy and, you know, he walks in and every girl is swooning and he's walking out with a, you know, a girl on his arm or a phone number and he's, you know, big man on campus. And then fast forward, boom, steps on an IED, loses both his legs. Now he's in a wheelchair and people are walking by trying to hold the door, you know, trying to help him out and look, giving him that, giving him that puppy dog look like, oh, you poor man. And here he is going, what? You should have seen me six months ago, man. And so, you know, we want to put him, get him, you know, to feel like a man again, you know, and that's what we've, the biggest result from that. And, you know, and with females, you know, it's the same, it's the same type feeling, you know, feeling the independence, you know, and feeling like you don't need to rely on other people. And so when we meet them, one of the first things we always kind of stress is like, take the wheelchair and throw it down the river. Because we're not going to use that. You're going to strap on those prosthetic legs and you're going to stand up and you're going to go climb that mountain. And that's what we do. And so, you know, that's uh, and then at the in the end, they find out what they're truly capable of, because after they climb a 20,000 foot mountain with no legs and then fast forward when we're done with them and, you know, years go by and they're in that dark space because that will happen again when you're working with injuries like that. Things will get dark. You'll go through a dark time again. And that's the point when you open the garage door and you break out the, you know, all the climbing gear, take the backpack and all the stuff that we, you know, that the Heroes Project has shown you and taught you and get out there and go for a hike, man. Put the cell phone down, put the social media down, you know, and the power of nature, man. And uh, there's something about going into nature onto a mountain that you just can't get at Rite Aid or CVS. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. What are the ways that listeners out there that have been moved, as I have by all this, can reach out and help the Heroes Project? Obviously, the website, theheroesproject.org. Uh, do you accept uh, donations from people? I know you have a lot of great sponsors. The best thing that your listeners can do to support our organization is come to one of our two events that we do. And we do them here in Southern California. That, to me, is always the most important than writing a check or liking our Facebook page or sharing a post. It's that that's important to come out because all of our alumni, all of our guys are there. We're training. Everybody's there. And to actually come out and show up and shake their hand and look them in the eye, you know, and say, you know, thank you for what you've done for me. And thank you for your service. And, you know, and, and Hey man, I've been watching what you're doing and good for you, man. We got you, you know, we got your back. We haven't forgotten about you. That is by far the greatest thing ever, and that which goes over really far with these guys. Um, but obviously, you know, you got a lot of listeners, I'm sure, you know, all over the world, and 
they can't get to Southern California to one of our cool kick-ass events. So we got a little store online. We sell these like really bitching camo hats and really cool swag, all made in America. Product, everything, not just manufactured, but actually made in America. We won't sell anything that's not. And uh, we sell cool swag and buy some swag and rock our stuff in your 57 Chevys and your cool cars. Yeah. And your <laughs> uh, bikes, if you ride yeah, a bike. Yeah, and then, hey, and, and listen, and third, you know, hey, man. Throw us a follow on our social media, man. Because yeah, absolutely. Up, you want to wake up in the morning, you're feeling a little down the dumps or your shoulder hurts, so you can't go to the gym, you know. Think about look, these uh, guys. Take a look at our social media and watch a guy with no legs climbing a mountain, and you just shut your mouth and get out of bed. Yeah, okay? exactly. And nothing yeah. to complain about there, buddy. Absolutely. <laughs> hey, Tim, you know, this has been really fun. It's very been a very different Cars Yeah podcast. I, I didn't really follow our normal footsteps that we usually take and the track that we take here. But I want to thank you for taking time out to talk to my listeners because I really feel strongly about helping veterans and especially veterans that have gone through horrific things like this. And you are a, you're really an interesting guy to me because when I first saw you on that Everest show, I thought, oh, he's kind of a wise-ass kind of guy and he's a little bit of a troublemaker, you know, which which you are, of course. And I went, okay, this, but this guy's interesting. There's something about him. And as it went on and then I went and looked up your Heroes Project, and like I said, my wife, Jill, said, you should have this guy on your show. This guy is doing some very, very cool things. And you were so quick to respond to me. I can't thank you enough. And I want to thank you for bringing a very different angle to the show, for exposing to my listeners, which you're right, are in over 80 countries, uh, tens of thousands of downloads a day, that these folks can help. There's ways for people to help in a small way and in a big way, like what you're doing. But you should do it. And when you do it, you feel pretty damn good about yourself, right? Look, man, there's, there's nothing really special about me. And this, this, this whole little movement I started here, it's, you know, it's, it's bigger than me. And this kind of stuff doesn't work without you guys. And so the old adage, you know, it takes a village. Well, you and all your cars, yeah, listeners, well, you guys are that village. And that's why I'm on the show right now. Yeah. I can't do it alone. And so uh, we, need, we need guys like you, man. So thanks for being the village. Well, thank you, Tim, for what you do for uh, the veterans of our country. And thank you for taking the time out to be a guest here today, for sharing your expertise and sharing your incredible experiences with life. I can't wait for the next adventure. Until you and I talk again, Tim, I'll see you down the road. P.S. No one pumps their own gas in New Jersey. <laughs> That's for sure. See ya. That's for sure. See you. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. Hey, Mark Green here from Cars Yeah. Did you know you can now see me on the Cars Yeah TV show? It's a weekly visit to some of my past Cars Yeah podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, Cars Yeah TV is making its mark. Cars Yeah TV is available on Mav TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find Mav TV on Direct TV. Fubo TV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through 
Lucas Oil Racing Television online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.